Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. We love convenience. Well, I know I do. The simplest path with the least resistance is always desirable when trying to achieve something, get something done, or obtain some kind of resource. Think about shopping. There's a reason we saw the rise of supermarkets and the move away from the small specialized stores downtown. The preference of many was clear. To be clear, we cannot discount the negative side effects of the shift away from the local stores and downtown life. It had a big and typically very negative effect on many inner cities. Although it is important to note that rethinking the inner city from shopping to entertainment and living space has managed to revitalize and rejuvenate many of them. But that's a story for another episode. But supermarkets were just a start. We saw the rise of the shopping mall. And while the mall may have originated in the US, in Eden, Minnesota, the largest malls are now found around the world. Interesting side note, one of the largest malls in the world, at least by leasable space, opened and found it difficult to get anyone to come. That problem has certainly gotten worse for many shopping centers as people found themselves variably locked down around the world thanks to the pandemic. Convenience has given way to online shopping and delivery to the doorstep for almost anything you could need. Having experienced this level of convenience in other parts of our lives, there is some expectation that you could find the same in healthcare. Not so much. Accessing care is filled with lots of steps, many repeated like filling in forms with the same information again and again, standing in line. Even in the case of offices next doors, patients find they are presented with a new form and more requirements to answer multiple pages of repetitive questions. We are spoiled with resources in the United States, but the process to access care is filled with challenges and friction. But compared to some places in the world, our inconveniences are really minor. For patients in Liberia in Africa, just getting to a healthcare facility can involve a long trek, which, if you're lucky, is on the back of a motorcycle. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Katie Main, an emergency room physician who comes to the show from Liberia, where she's volunteering with an NGO in rural Liberia. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you've had some experience in some uh, different uh, geographic regions, specifically the African continent. And I think one of the things that we, we sometimes fail to appreciate is how lucky we are with the resources that are available. But that's not the same 
experience that you found when you uh, went to deliver care and practiced uh, medicine in Africa. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think coming from, a, you know, kind of a U.S. background, I'm used to having my physician to be at my fingertips. You know, I can write them a, an email. They can say, hey, come on into the office. That, um, that kind of mindset doesn't really exist here. Um, so for a long time in Liberian history, they've been struggling with infrastructure um, from a variety of different standpoints, but predominantly in healthcare um, due to their civil war, due to an Ebola outbreak, and then subsequently the COVID-19 outbreak hasn't exactly helped the situation. So um, healthcare structure, infrastructure, kind of as we think about it, whether being clinics, um, ERs, operating rooms, are kind of, kind of still building, especially in more rural areas of the country. And um, so a lot of patients are putting a fair amount of trust in this new-ish system um, to kind of come and, and visit um, and, and participate in, in healthcare. So um, a lot of patients require multiple hours on a motorcycle um, or walking um, on dirt roads to get to healthcare facilities. Um, they may or may not have ease of transport, so ability to pay for a motorcycle transport to get them to the facility um, on multiple occasions. And so every time that we as providers are seeing them is a huge opportunity to connect them with resources to do education, to figure out what, what we can do to support them. Um, and so um, I think that it's we're still building a lot of infrastructure here. The librarians are very hardworking and dedicated um, people, and it's been a privilege to work with them, but it's it's still growing. So I, a couple of things to, to highlight, um, you know, just based on my own personal experience and knowledge, you, you know, when you talk about a motorcycle ride, you, you really are talking about, you know, scooters. And when you say roads, they're not the roads that we consider. This is a real... Um, rough ride and as you rightly describe it's it's not just um 20 minutes or an hour this is really rural in some cases it, it can be days of travel for some of these folks to uh, to make it to this facility um when you talk about the trust issue um that's a little bit surprising, I think. Why would people not trust uh, the, the the health system, you know, the setup, albeit it's a challenge to get to? What's going on there? Um, so from my my time here, I've, I've come to learn that, you know, this is the healthcare infrastructure was a little bit stronger prior to the Civil War and prior to the Ebola outbreak. But subsequently, things have really broken down. And so a lot of people, especially people in, in you know, their 30s and 40s who are now having children and um, sometimes grandchildren, they've not grown up with that same infrastructure that we're kind of used to um, or that you know, I might be used to coming from the U.S. And so they are used to kind of relying on um, more traditional methods of healing. And so having changing that mindset to say, you know, maybe I do need to see a, a provider, you know, um, a PA or a nurse practitioner or a nurse or a, a physician in order to get my condition treated. 
um, is a little bit novel for a lot of librarians. Um, and it's it's still growing the, the concept of, you know, seeking care at a clinic or having a, for example, having a non-communicable disease, so we call it like hypertension or heart failure and having re repeated visits um, and continuing to follow up and, and build that trust, that relationship with your with your provider is is a kind of a novel thing, I think, especially in rural Liberia. Maybe not so much in the in the capital, but um, definitely out here, it, it's something that I encounter quite frequently. Right. So a new system, uh, you know, challenges, uh, you know, a little bit of history. Obviously, the impact of uh, war, um, pandemic, um, you know, diseases that are very challenging, and obviously the 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 ability to to get there. How are you overcoming that? What's contributing to sort of building that trust? Because it sounds like you are building uh, a, a a better um, uh, catch for these folks to deliver healthcare. What are you doing to make the difference? Boy, um, it's a huge. I think it's a huge team effort. So um, there are so many healthcare providers here in Liberia who are excited to gain knowledge and skills um, about how they can better support their community members. Um, we have a huge community health team that is going out to, to more rural locations, talking to people, you know, being on their level, um, speaking the same, you know, language that they've all grown up with. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference, seeing somebody that you maybe, you know, lives in your community and they're sharing this knowledge with you. Um, and so a lot of what we're, what we're working on right now is kind of building that capacity, that, that healthcare understanding um, amongst our community health workers, amongst the Liberian nurses and physicians and midwives. Um, and so by that, it, I think it's building trust in the system because it, we're building capacity of, of people who live here, who grew up here, um, and are now working um, to spread, spread um, health equity in their community. Um, so I think a lot of it is is about really building up uh, the community resources that are already here, um, which are already, they're incredible. Um, they've just seen a lot of, of hardship, um, especially in the last couple of decades. So I, you're building a better community. Um, you're, you're supporting the local infrastructure. But, you know, one of the things that strikes me about this is that, you know, with those challenges for the individuals, even if they trusted the system, the ability to get there, um, you know, what you describe is something that, you know, feels like when someone comes in, you want to be able to deliver as much as possible. I think about hypertension and, you know, what do we do in the West? Well, we say, come come back in two weeks. We'll check it again. Maybe not. Um, so how do you approach that? And what's what's key in terms of delivering the value and, um, you know, building a better uh, health system for these folks, given the uh, the limitations? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a few aspects to that. Um, one, I think, is that it's a really cohesive and collaborative team environment. If I see, so I'm primarily working in the emergency department setting, um, but if I see a patient in the emergency department that I think would be better served in, we say the NCD clinic or the um, non-communicable disease clinic, 
um, I can send them directly over there and give kind of a warm handoff to um, the other provider who might be a PA or a nurse that's going to see them and, and talk to them about, you know, whatever might be going on, whether it's high blood pressure, heart failure, um, that sort of thing. But a lot of what I have um, found is that the more you can do for a patient every, you know, on that perhaps index encounter or that, you know, first visit to the ER, um, anything that you can do to kind of help them understand their, um, you know, their health a little bit better or to uh, get a little bit more information for them, I think it makes a huge difference. Um, so one of the tools that I had you know, the privilege of using here is a portable ultrasound machine. Um, and what it can do is that very quickly in my discussion with the patient, my history taking, my physical exam, it then allows me to, you know, get a better sense of what's going on, whether I'm looking at them with their hypertension, wanting to know if they're starting to have, you know, effects on their heart or on their kidneys or vice versa. Um, it can be super helpful at the bedside and very, very quick to do. Um, and honestly, the patients are really, really grateful because it means that, you know, perhaps if I see them in a smaller area, they don't need to travel for another day for another visit to get that ultrasound done by a different provider. Um, and so it's, it's potentially, you know, time and money saving for, for the patients themselves. Um, and again, you're, you're still just building that, that trust in the system. Um, and so if you're able to show that you're, you know, there for them and want to get a better sense of what's going on um, for them, they're more interested in, in coming back to see you, to see somebody else in, um, on the team. So I, it brings up an interesting, um, you know, concept in my mind. And, you know, I've got essentially two positions on this. And I'm curious to know what your your clinical experiences are here. I, I immediately think about health literacy and, you know, given the population and the challenges and, you know, the environment that they live in, there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, presenting, you know, a bedside ultrasound with essentially looking into the body, is that something that... Um, transmits well from an information standpoint or is it just seen as well this is knowledge and you know i'm I, i'm it's good news because i'm you're translating it how much sort of comprehension is there um and how does that contribute to the experience um so it definitely depends i will say this depends regardless if i'm working in um, liberia or if i'm working in um, an emergency department in the u.s it depends kind of interest and you're able to gauge that fairly well a lot of patients are like oh I really want to see what you're what you're doing um, they a lot of them love looking at images of their heart they love seeing their heart and I say and this is the part that squeezes and sends blood to your body and so you're doing a little bit of teaching and mm -hmm. you're getting them kind of interested about about learning about themselves um, and honestly I like love to see that um, and there's a fair amount of interest in the staff as well. Um, everyone comes over when you've pulled out your ultrasound device and they say, oh, but, you know, Dr. Katie, can we look at this? Um, or, you know, about 
about this or what what does that mean there and so there's a, there's a lot of interest um and i think this is uh you know kind of a really a rare luxury for them to to be able to have this very versatile device kind of at their fingertips um and so i generally find that there's there's a lot of a lot of interest um you know and the i think the level of understanding is always going to vary no matter you know where in the world you're using this device um but there has universally been a lot of interest you know hey do you want to see this they're like yes i want to see that and you know they may not understand everything that's going on on the screen but that's okay um it's kind of the general i think feel and, and interest that they're they're kind of um generating um that i think makes them willing to continue to ask questions and to be engaged with their health because it's very it's very hard to be diagnosed with something like heart failure and then have to think to yourself, this is going to be something I deal with for the rest of my life. So I, I think, you know, tremendous story from an educational standpoint, patient engagement, all these things that we talk about that, you know, starts to deliver increased value. And then that transmission of knowledge and information sort of translating the textbook or the learning to this real live experience. Um, you, you've, you've had clinical experiences. Can you share some positive experiences and what, what's, what, what you've seen that's really perhaps stood out? Yeah. Um, boy, there's a, there's a lot of examples. I think, um, one of, one of them that I've been thrilled to discover is that, um, typically in the, in the U S where we have access to a CT scan, um, so for adult patients um, with, you know, abdominal pain, for example, it's very easy to just order a CT scan from the emergency department and figure out, you know, what's going on. But here, because of um, a variety of factors, you know, we don't have a CT scan, we don't have access to that, but ultrasound has been useful um, in diagnosing patients with um, hepatic abscesses that required drainage. Um, looking at kind of hypoplastic or very small kidneys that suggest underlying renal disease, and then even diagnosing appendicitis in adults, um, which was a thing that I, you know, wasn't previously trained to do, um, just because it was, you know, challenging to see, but I've had multiple patients here that I've been able to, um, you know, diagnose appendicitis, um, and there the other things are fusions. We see quite a bit of um, tuberculosis here, um, which can have, you know, pretty significant effects on the heart and lungs, especially. Um, and so I've had multiple patients with pericardial and pleural effusions um, presenting with shortness of breath and who have subsequently been either referred to the surgical clinic for drainage or um, even today, for example, um, I've drained uh, a pericardial effusion that was causing tamponade um, in the ER. So um, this is all done, you know, um, at the bedside and, um, you know, using ultrasound and without it, I probably wouldn't have known um, just because, you know, the things you look for on a, your exam to diagnose a, you know, pericardial tamponade, they're not there. The distant, distant heart sounds, our patients are, are generally pretty thin. So heart sounds are there <laughs> um, and distended neck veins are there until you know, kind of more severe presentations. And so the things that you're taught to look for um, 
are, you know, maybe absent. And so having, uh, you know, this tool at the bedside um, that I can carry around with me around the whole hospital um, is, it's such a game changer. So I, I, I think great stories. I, I just want to be sure, um, you know, to bring home a, a specific point that I think is, is buried within there, not only a diagnostic tool, but also a treatment tool that actually delivers an opportunity. I, I mean, sure, you can drain a cyst without it, but boy, is that really hard to do. This is something that you can do and deliver better sort of patient care as, as part of that. And then obviously for those cases that you find that need um, you know, more complex intervention, um, you know, quick referral. So that's that one visit and immediate sort of treatment. It's like sort of a, a, a full um, service that doesn't sort of miss anything. Um, as you think about, you know, other things, what, what else would help in this particular instance? Boy, I think, you know, other, other tools that would be helpful. A lot of it is um, ongoing education and increased access to these kind of portable, easy to use technologies. I think those are those are kind of the biggest things that I think would make a big difference here. Um, you know, ultrasound in itself, um, if you kind of understand some principles of it and have had some exposure to training, it's not that difficult to learn and to do. Um, and so I think that that sort of thing for uh, rural populations and rural communities um, can be absolutely life-saving for a lot of community members. And so I think, yeah, access to education and to these kind of easy to use portable technologies um, like ultrasound can be uh, a, huge, a huge change for a lot of communities. So I, do you think that, um there's potential in the future to actually put this technology, these kind of technologies out into the field, you know, and I think specifically of um, obstetric care and placenta previa, which, you know, major issue, but you need to catch it. Do you want to take that journey in? Is that the kind of thing that you think um, that can be distributed out and, you know, individuals could go out into the community and do a, a, a screening program? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the um, potential benefits are kind of unlimited at this point. And um, I think that it has use in outpatient clinics, community health clinics, and the ER. Um, like I said, that I'm frequently called around to multiple parts of the hospital to do um, to do ultrasound for a variety of reasons, whether it's vascular access or you know, screening before a surgical procedure. Um, and so I think that, you know, with something that's that's fairly easy to use and easy to teach, kind of the, the opportunities are, are unlimited. Fantastic. So uh, very inspiring, obviously, for uh, this African-born uh, individual, you know, so delighted to see this being used in, you know, a place that needs, um, you know, resources, support, education, um, just remains for me to uh, thank you uh, for, for joining me on the show. Katie, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great time. As you heard, in some countries, 
Ready access to the right resources can mean the difference in the right treatment and saving lives, and the impact of bringing immediate diagnostic capabilities with portable ultrasound has been life-changing for Katie, her patients, and the team she works with. Immediate diagnosis and treatment help her patients get the care they need at the time they are able to visit the healthcare facility. You might think the US is very different from Africa, but not so much. While we have many of those resources here in the US, we don't have the convenience. Rural communities and the big inequity divides that exist have similar problems here. Access to diagnostic capabilities is also limited in many parts of the US, and we can do better. But it's not just resources, and we can also improve the processes as well throughout the US healthcare system. Your better pill to swallow is to think about healthcare in the terms of our resources and ease of access. Remove the barriers and friction in access so that your patients and your community can get the care they need at the time they are available to visit your facility. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HC Upside Down. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.